Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone, to the continuation of our series, <laughs> like it or not. <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> I'm an audience of one. Uh, what I like about the fundamentals is that um, I can bring up topics that uh, normally get bypassed uh, and can kind of reinvigorate them with a new sense of, of um, depth, hopefully, and uh, with a, a new way of looking, a new perspective that can sort of clean up an issue for us that might likely have been uh, sort of uh, dismissed earlier on in our practice. So I try to pick issues that are relevant for all of us. And I try to pick issues that, when we look again at them, can take us to a deeper level. And so tonight, uh, the issue I would like to explore with you is self-uncertainty. Self-uncertainty. Uh, it's interesting, I, as I teach the beginning class, as I do many times over the years, I'm always uh, shocked, I guess not so shocked, but reminded that you know people really aren't interested uh, in spirituality for the transformation that it's genuinely pointing towards. People are interested in uh, sort of of uh, shaping shaping their character <clears throat> so that it doesn't protrude quite as obviously <laughs> into the mix. <laughs> And uh, what leads to that conclusion is that somehow meditation, because other things haven't worked. As you know, characters are not easily changed. <laughs> you notice that over your life? In fact, except for revelations, which have a transforming quality to character, often when people are close to death, they'll have a revelation, but sometimes... Revelations can happen independent of that, mystical experience, etc. Those can have a transforming effect on character. Outside of that, not too much really works to change our character. We pretty much have it established early on and it continues for the duration. And yet, we don't really like it that well. We see how it rubs and has an edge and creates a lot of conflict and at some point, we get exasperated with it, and we really want to do something about it. And I think this sends us into uh, a confusion that we think meditation will solve. And uh, so then we start meditation, at least in the beginning, we start meditation with the idea, we hear all of that, you know, don't do, don't judge, just allow things to be the way they are, but we have our own agenda. And we're not really listening to those words. We're going to go in and carve ourselves a new personality. And, <laughs> and so uh, when that doesn't work like we thought it was going to, uh, we start looking at what the mirror of meditation is reflecting and find ourselves even more hideous than we had gone in initially believing. Right? Have you found that? And uh, I had one uh, young 
woman say to me, you know, she says, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I don't know what a while meant, probably a few weeks, <laughs> which is about our, our time limit for, <laughs> for patience. But uh, she says, you know, uh, I hear you say, talk about not striving, and uh, I'm just, compl- I don't know what, anything else but striving. So I've already failed at the message you're trying to present. And then I hear about self-allowance and self-love and self-acceptance, and I don't feel accepting at all of myself. I can't stand what I see in the mirror. And then she said, you know, you talk a lot about compassion and love for others, but if I'm really honest, I don't really care that much about others. She was just kind of laying it out there. But if we look deeply at how many of us feel about ourselves, it's not too distant from what we believe genuinely in our hearts about who what we are and how this practice has evolved in us. There's a lot promised, or at least the words have pointed somewhere that we don't seem to be able to get to. So let's stop right there. Okay, that's not the promise of meditation. And in fact, I tremble when I hear meditation or any spiritual idealization like the Jataka tales when the Buddha threw himself off the cliff to feed a starving lion and all of that stuff it just I, I think this just does this does nothing but sets us on the wrong course we start believing that the molding of our characters is the object of what we're doing it is not and this I say to you with some sense of regret and sadness because I know many of you still wish that for the practice. There's a real uh, sobering moment that we all have when we have to make a decision about the direction this practice is going to go. Is it going to be a worldly pursuit where we're molding the clay of our lives, our character, into something we want to fashion for a more shining example of the person we think we are? Do we continue to judge and to contradict and to have a lot of of, uh, self-angst about the person we already are? Because meditation is simply how I presented it. It's a mirror. It's just standing in front of a reflection. That's it. It's going to show us what is there. It's not going to create something, a new dress wear for ourselves, a new coat. It's not going to create a new character. It's just going to show us the character that already exists. That's what self-knowledge is. A reflection back of the state of affairs, you might say. Well, how many of us got into meditation for that reflection? In fact, we don't want to see that. We want to see where we're going and how fast we're getting there and where we are on the journey. We want some sense of ourselves in movement, out of. Movement towards what, though? Let's just ask that question. Where are we moving towards and for what reason? What are we moving away from? Because if we're moving towards something, that means we're probably trying to get out of something that we're in already. 
What is the point? What, where is this movement to take us? You see, that's why I try to reframe the whole of the meditation into this simple <coughs> re- reflective process. And it, it's a dead stop. There's, what do you do with that? You don't do anything with it. In fact, that's the next level of instruction. That's the hardest level of instruction. See it and then don't do anything with it. We want to wring its neck. <laughs> Throw a rock at the mirror. See, what, what's the point of that? See it. For what? I, I See it in, in disgust? What's the point? You see, this is where the shift of motivation has to occur. When I go like that, that's <laughs> <laughs> it has to occur because it's not about self-beautification. It's not about self-enrichment. And I, again, there's a sadness in me because I really think that many of us have not yet given up that pursuit. But form, let me just take you into the essence of spiritual transformation. Form never looks pretty. It looks comparatively pretty. You compared to another form. It never looks absolutely pretty or beautiful. And so what we're used to doing is operating on that comparing level. And so we have all failed. We've succeeded in some things and failed in many others. We may be good in school, but terrible at sports or whatever it might be. And so we all have this edge in ourselves that there's some contradiction in us that needs to be bled out. We need a new transfusion of spirit. And it's, it's so indebted, embedded in us. It's so deeply rooted in our system of way of thinking, of self-improvement, that really, I, I don't know if it ever completely leaves most of us. We really have this uh, lifelong self-disgust. And yet spiritual, the spiritual journey does not address that crisis. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we hope beyond hope that somehow it will make us into, you know, the the beautiful beautiful saint that will be shining, that will be a glow, that will be noticed finally in a positive way. But form just doesn't have that ability. It's limited. It's formed. Once something is formed, it's formed. And what we're doing in our spiritual journey, on our spiritual journey, is we're transforming what we thought we were, which was the form, the expression of ourselves in form, to spirit, 
the expression of ourselves formless. Now if we get bottled up with form, trying to tweak it, change the dial sufficiently so that we'll beautify it better, we're going to miss the whole journey, essentially. And, I mean, you could spend the next 10 years in metta, and you would feel the effects of that on your heart and on your mind, and it would be very uplifting, but you would still be formed as you are now. And even though there would be changes that you would perceive as being positive, those changes would still be relative. But spirit is not relative. The formless, you see, and it's not until we are finished working at the level of of self-enrichment that the other is even possible, is even is even uh, approachable. Now this quality of self-uncertainty by far, in my experience, is the one that keeps us within the entrenched way that we perceive ourselves to be. It holds us fast to our personal pain. It keeps us in comparing vision to others and how they're doing and how we're doing. It keeps us inwardly, it keeps us within its own inward logic and commentary and persuasion so that we meditate from this sense of self-uncertainty. It holds us like nothing, like nothing else does. Now, just to see how this kind of formation occurred in our psyche, well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, we are a culture that thrives in comparison. It, if you're not at the top of the heap, you're really not really considered in this culture to so there's a there's this sense of, of a very strong sense of mastery of being the best, but equally there's a very strong sense of the uh, potential of imagination. We believe in imagination in this culture. We believe it to be. We don't believe in reality. We believe in the ability to imagine a better reality. We really believe in that. We believe that that's our working, working ethic, really. It's not where we are, it's where we can go, what we can do, what we can make out of this that we're currently in. And so, given those two forces, the force of evaluation and comparison and the force of imagination, those two forces don't line up compatibly with the formless element they line up very compatibly with form and the transformation of form into a better form. That's how that works. So culturally, we're not aligned when we decide we're going to shift paradigms here. 
So it takes something more from us. But the residual pain of what the culture has done or what our parents within that culture have done to us or what other significant people, anyway, the pain of it, wherever it came from, is not the point. The pain is the point. Continues, continues for a long period of time and perhaps for the duration of our meditation. And it keeps reminding us there's a certain knock on the door that it keeps reminding us that we're not where we wanted to be. That's the knock. That's what it's saying to us. That's how it expresses its disappointment in us. And that's how we lose the sense of established certainty in ourselves. The certainty of our being that needs no apology. Here's some passion here. Don't get frightened. <laughs> because it's important. And what it does is it, it, it implants a certain way of looking at the possibilities of us when we don't believe in in our location. We don't believe in ourselves within the location we're taking. Everything's troublesome. Everything is troublesome. The sounds are troublesome. The noises around us are troublesome. The temperature of the air is troublesome. Everything is troublesome. Because we're not, we haven't landed here. We're on our way to somewhere else where it's less troublesome. And so this sense of, of doubting, this sense of doubt, first of all, we sense, well, all I'm seeing from the Dharma is my own reflection. It's not improving. Now let's just get this straight. That's it. That's all you'll ever expect the Dharma to offer you is your reflection back. That's enough. That's enough if you want to transform from one paradigm to another. It's not enough if you have other motivations. Do you see? So that's the point, is that the reflection gives us everything we need, but it gives nothing in terms of being able to transform ourselves into a better person or character. We need some tools, workshops. We need 10 ways to calm ourselves when we're angry. We need, you know, whatever. You've heard them all. But the reflection, now what does the reflection back give us? See, what is that, what does just seeing what is there give us? Well, we can struggle with what we see is there, and that gives us pain. That gives us a sense of self-contempt. We see ourselves struggling with the image that's reflecting back, and we hate it, and that we can sense the pain that's there. And we say, okay, wait a minute. Okay, pain, suffering, we're supposed to have, this process is supposed to have something to do with suffering. So what am I doing with that image that's creating the antagonism, that's creating the struggle, that's leading to the suffering? I see. I have to 
surrender to the image as it exists rather than supposing or hoping for a new image which leaves you exactly where you are it doesn't improve you ultimately there is some improvement but not when you're engaged at this level in other words if you say okay I'm going to do this in order to improve it will it cannot be done you have to surrender to the image without any expectation whatsoever because that's it that's all you are in there that reflection that's it that's the that's the totality of the moment that is reality shining back at you then there's no conversation that reality wants to hear from you believe me any conversation from you just creates a scene <laughs> right better just to shut up to it that's called surrender not begrudgingly that's not surrender but you realize there's no other way to be then the formation of you isn't is you're not is tightly contained within that formation when you aren't arguing about the expression and manifestation of that form what kept you tightly embedded within yourself ourselves was the resistance we had to being that image when we don't resist it anymore though that is the freedom that's the trans that's the transformation that can occur that's the escape route you might say out of form that's why all instructions are geared towards that provision leave it alone just see it for what it is but if there's a lingering sense of doubt you see which is self which is confusion which is uncertainty it's like what, what is this dharma stuff i don't know if i you know even though as you sit here and hopefully with other teachers something deeply in you knows that there is truth to what's being said still what's this dharma stuff i don't know if i buy into it you know it's like i don't know it feels a little flaky right <laughs> so we even though the confirmation of our being of our presence confirms what is being said not through intellectual logic not through you know the intellectual process at all but simply that direct sensing of truth that direct sensing of truth it knows itself truth knows itself still we can question ourselves within the dharma and the dharma within ourselves we're not settled with this thing and when we're not settled here, there are three strategies that arise from that uncertainty the first strategy i'll fake it right because i don't feel i feel like this is too hard for me it's asking too much it's asking me what's it asking you to be quiet that's all it's asking you to do that's too much <laughs> it's asking you not to flee yourself that's too much to ask 
It's asking you not to look ahead, but to stay here. Too much to ask. What's it asking of you? It's not asking anything of us. Except to drop the struggle. That's all it's asking of us. That's what's so amazing. But we make it difficult. We say, well, as bad as I am, I look at this side of the frame and I see the image that I, I'm, this is too awful to, I can't, I can't just surrender this. I've got a lot to do. So we do penance. We decide to go to go into hard work, shape this thing down, whittle it away, sandpaper some edges, then come back to the reflection and now we'll smile. Right? No. We'd like to think that. That's not what happens. Because it's never complete fulfillment there. There's no sense of... The sense of form doesn't feel complete with itself. It feels in comparison. And there's always something more to do when you're in comparison, as all forms are. So it comes back to the image and says, Mary looks better than that. John sits straighter. Where's my clarity like everybody else's? How come I can't follow the breath ten times in a row like Jim? Never ends. So there's this sense of faking it because it feels too, it just feels, this, and, I, and I feel like the, in some ways our tradition has fallen into this persuasion. So we'll cast it off as an unmakeable, as an as a improbable. We'll say in lifetimes from now, will we'll be shaped in the right way. And then you can walk through the door of your awakening. As if somehow there'll be a magic moment when you'll mirror, mirror on the wall, Snow White. No. And let me just ask you, how many lifetimes have you been assuming that? It may be many more than you might believe. And so you go, okay, you know, this sense of heart, uh, heaviness of heart, of, of spiritual lethargy, you know, because I just don't feel like I'm up to it. I don't know, you know, so I'll, I'll, give, it a, I'll give it a half presentation. I'll show up for the sittings. I'll take a homework, but I won't do the homework. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, when things are comfortable at home, I'll sit. I'll work it in a little bit, right? When it really does call for a totality of being, it does, there's no question about that. If we have some seepage, if there's an issue in us like self-uncertainty that bleeds out our spirit, then that part won't show up for ourselves. And if that doesn't show up, none of it shows up. So it does require a full-hearted embrace. It does require that. There's no question. 
But we just don't, I don't know what, I don't know what, how to br bring people up to that. You know, every one of us have that potential in this room. This isn't given to some and held from others. Every one of us has that potential if we, if we're so inspired in that way. If you feel so damaged that you need a lot of inward repair, well then do whatever you need so that you can quiet those inward, that inward struggle sufficiently so that you can come up and face your reflection. And all of us have areas of scar tissue from a childhood which was less than ideal. And we need to work on those issues sufficiently so that we can regain the spirit because that's bleeding us. Those, that's a, like, you know, we're losing a lot of blood along the path. We have to show up for this thing. And faking it just doesn't do it. So what's another strategy? I said there were three. The first one is faking it. I just, just let me say a few more words about faking it because, you know, when you're faking it, you don't really believe in yourself sufficiently. You have an ideal of what it would be like in order for you to give over your whole, your whole life to this. And you keep looking at the image of the reflection and you don't see that shape occurring. So what happens is that we create an ideal of what we need to look like in order for us to show up. Well, that ideal happens to be God. And the bridge, the gap between ourselves and the ideal called God is so distant and so disparate that it can never be crossed. Never. And so you end up worshiping the ideal that you wish you were. And in its most hideous manifestation on this plane, it becomes dependency, which is the second way that uncertainty manifests as a strategy. So if I don't have it in me, I'll go to somebody who I think, I project, has it in them. And so I have a whole sense of projection of what they must be like because they act that way. Not as a human being, but as some kind of floating. Don't, don't spend a, a second with that kind of person. <laughs> don't have time for it. You pay $10,000 to get a mantra. <laughs> and you see, you see right through the person, you, they can have my 10000 I'm out of here. Turn you back and leave. This sense of dependency. But it's not just dependency on a teacher. It's something I want dependent, I want some security that will assure me that this thing has, will, has the payoff. If I'm going to put into this work, I want assurance that there's going to be some payoff. Buddhism. 
That's got 2,500 years of history of people who supposedly like popcorn are <laughs> bursting forth. <laughs> or texts. I got a text, right? The Buddha said. Now, argue with that, right? <laughs> That's where it goes, you see. All that self-uncertainty. We... we we don't see it in ourselves, so we want certainty in something else, something that we can hang on to, something, some way that we can grasp the world as formed and perfect. And that helps for a while. I'm not dismissing the fact for sutta references or for the value of teachers, for that matter, or for any of the forms that help us along the way, but ultimately this is about facing our reflection totally and complete. And no one can intercede in that process. So the third strategy that we apply when we don't feel sufficient is forceful effort. We compensate for a sense of lacking inside with a kind of white-knuckle approach to our business at hand. And my God, I might be lacking in character, and in, but I'm not going to lack myself in will. I'm going to force this thing through, I'm going to really drive it. And we're crumbling inside. We're not interested in what it's showing back. We're interested in the gain that we suppose the effort will give us. And we're dying inside. What's going to wake us up out of that? What's going to allow this shift to occur? Because the shift is light. It's like the air. Everything else was just needless bloodletting. It was reprimanding yourself to be the good soldier. In fact, we like those images. And the text, you'll see an image that, where the Buddhist said, the, though a, a person kills a thousand times a thousand people in battle, he who kills or ends his self is the better warrior. It sounds like onward Christian soldiers. And so these images, these images of purity and the good fight and the war and all of that, when it's really just this, it's just looking, it's just seeing. It's just dropping the interference pattern. Why? Because it hurts to have one. 
just to see what's there instead of pretend what is there. You would think that it would be asking everything from us. But that's what it's asking from us. And if we want an image of how to do it with someone who was trying as hard as they possibly could and came to the point in which their effort failed them completely, let us bring the Buddha in. Because there he was. He had tried everything that effort and manipulation and asceticism could bring. And still there was self-uncertainty. He says, if we just go to that frame, okay, this is never going to end. I've got to make, I've got to, this isn't going to end. I can't wait for my self-uncertainty to end before I embrace the image. I have to embrace the image. And that's what he did. He says, okay, touches the earth. This is, when I speak about it, the depth of that simple movement begins to stir something. Because what is he doing except saying there's nowhere to go? This is it. This is it. This is the confirmation. This is, this is the final. This is the final resting. Because self-uncertainty says, get up. You're, what are you doing? You're just, you know, you got a lot. Go back and eat one grain of rice. <laughs> and he, he reaches down. He says, no, this is it. This is the confirmation. And there is nowhere to go. There's no other place to be. There's nothing to think about. This was it. This was the confirmation. That was the settlement. That, that was the signing of the declaration. That was it. That, everything was done then. It is also the ultimate manifestation of integrity because not having anywhere to go, you are now raw and wide open with nowhere to hide. Since there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to hide. And you, he, was completely exposed. Integrity and also the confirmation of self-knowledge. At that point, he knew what it was about. And the image was like, no big deal. Well, there's doubt. Oh, I see. Uncertainty. It can't persuade. It's just what our brains have been trained to say. If we live with whatever we tell ourselves for a duration, after that duration, we will tell ourselves that very thing. And so too what comes out of us when we face the mirror of our own reflection is I can't. 
and all permutations of that. And the anger associated with it. And the betrayal that we feel. When it's just that. It's just that. It's the touching of the ground. It's the reflection back. Nowhere to go. No waiting for a new image to arise. The show is over. It's stopped. No idealism. No further imagination. No apology. You can feel, feel the solidness when you start just hearing those words where it just brings you right there. It just, that's it. Looking around, I don't, no paranoia because there's integrity, self-knowledge. The pairing of integrity and self-knowledge is the finishing. It's over. May it be so. Can we sit for a minute or two? The thing we most desperately need to learn is that which is closest at hand. If you are plagued by some emotional image, some trauma, something that feels almost skin tight around you, it almost feels like the third layer of your skin so that you don't know life without that coating often containing both an attitude and an image, a whole posture. That is what needs to be explored. That is the thing that's closest at hand. That is what needs to be seen. Not something else, not something distant, not some subtle Buddha truth. That. Because it is driving us and has been driving us. And when we get serious, that's where we want to go. We want to go to why we take this step instead of that step. Why we keep falling in this same hole time and time again. Why life always looks the same when we get up in the morning.
Okay, if there are any questions or comments, I'd be happy to. So the question is about complexity, and I wouldn't frame the shift of paradigms in terms of complexity. It's um, what, we're, what captivate, captivates our attention for the most part is appearances. So there's a sort of a superficial way that we latch upon appearances at this when we're formed and using form as what's relevant for us. Appearances being what's manifesting with that person or how, right? So when you're standing in front of the mirror, the reflections will show you the appearance. It'll show you how pretty you are in comparison to the pages of Cosmopolitan magazine or whatever. It'll show you that. But it'll also, as you get quieter, begin to show you what motivates you, where the pain resides in us in terms of that particular point that we're not as pretty as, or whatever. That's where I would suggest us going. That's where the image is showing us the, the contention that is there. And it is there that we can meet the contention. It's okay, so the, and you can just see the squabbling. You can see the resistance at every level of our expectations, our unmet expectations. Okay, so it's very simple in the sense that it's very there. It's not something we have to manufacture. It's not something we have to piece together. It's something that as we get quiet and serious is, will be shown to us. But as long as we are fascinated by appearances, we're just going to try to shuffle and rearrange those appearances sufficiently so that we don't have to look at the motivation. And that's our escape from the motivation is by addressing the appearances rather than what's driving the need for that appearance. So it's, it's being quieter, not more complex, but quieter and just being willing to hear whatever the subtlety of our motivation is in that moment. Anyone else? Tim? Oh, yes. What's the role of meta in going through this process? Okay, so it's a deviation, <laughs> but oftentimes the deviation is the straightest path. Okay? So if we have a deep sense of self-contempt and we, you, you can stand in front of that mirror all day but you just hate what you see. It, it, you're, not getting, you're not squaring yourself. You're not able to sit there and see yourself without some judgment interfacing constantly. between. Then <clears throat> to take a, a detour, so to speak, Bring forth some uh, 
qualities of heart, encouraging or inclining our mind towards more uh, uplifting qualities of heart, can have a dramatic effect on how we hold that image. Our willingness to even see it, to embrace it, to look at it. Ultimately, that's what it does for us. It allows us to settle ourselves with ourselves sufficiently so that we can see what is really there. But some of us has to do some doctoring in order to get to that point. And that's what skillful means does. It allows a little rouge. Right? It allows a little beautification so that what we see doesn't repel us, repulse us so, so much. Yeah, it, it really is a question of giving up control. I mean, the whole thing has is based on faith. Yeah. And faith is a complete loss of control. You see, as you leave form, that's where you're in control, or you seem to be in control. The manipulation of form is individuated, right? I can move to the left, move to the right, all of that. When you move to the formless, you become a part of, you become inseparable from and therefore the individuation leaves in that sense uh, and then you're a gift of life from life you might say uh, and uh, it doesn't mean that there isn't an individuation still but it's individuated oneness you might say it's a sense of knowing yourself as separate from relative as a as a form as a um, is, is a, a, a relative a proximity of what I need to do. I have to you know, pick up my papers. and So I need the sense of me being here and things being around. But that doesn't fool us in terms of what, where the real spirit lies. Right? So it's just a convenience. It's functional. And so then, uh, so, but for most of us, when we start the practice, we really believe in this, we believe in the separation, we believe in the individuation. And therefore the control is very important to us. But as we start seeing that there's much more interconnection here than what we had first imagined, then we realize in order to enter that interconnection, we have to release control because control keeps us individuated. So there's, there, there can be a threshold in which we have to decide whether this is worth going on, going to forward, when we have to release the very muscle that's kept us separate and formed. And that's going to be part of what, at that point, the, the decision's already made, to be honest. You can think you've got a big decision to make, but it's already made because you've seen too much. You can't go back and pretend you haven't seen what you've seen. And then... You just move through it. It's like when fear turns to terror, you've already seen too much to turn back and turn away from terror. You just say, oh, well, okay. And you just keep going. All right? 
So it's always like that. That what keeps you from retreating completely is that you've seen too much. It doesn't take too much. It doesn't take much to be too much either. Most of us in this room have already seen too much. But we're kicking and screaming. <laughs> One last question. Yes, sir. You kick it down the road. <laughs> no, no, okay, so, yeah. You don't bring anything. If it's not there, forget it, okay? All right. There may be. You don't manufacture anything. Because then you're just manufacturing something to do something with. Okay, so this is, at this point, and I didn't get to say this in this lecture, but I wanted to. Eventually, meditation is going to defeat you. But when you realize the defeat that meditation offers is from wisdom, not from neurosis. It's like, it's, oh, I'm just not up to, it's not, I'm not up to this. I'm no good. I can't. Do, it's not that. It's like I can't do this. So it's going to defeat us. At that point, whatever we offer it, we realize is too much. We can't offer it a thing. We can't offer the image anything. We don't bring anything to the image. What often happens when we are that self-depleted from our image is we're very curious about it because that's a quality of formlessness about whatever form is still the residue of any form remaining, is curiosity. That's not from you. You don't bring curiosity to it. That's expressed from you when you are willing not to manage your image any longer. Okay? So it's the dropping of the guard. You see, the mistake we keep making is we keep thinking that this is a self-production we think this is a one-person show. It's like Mark Twain, right? Okay, it's not a one-person show. It's a nobody show. All right? Stop bringing ourselves into it to make it a one-person show. You do not have to do this. All you have to do is see. That's it. That's, just, that's what you have to do. Be willing to see. Now, everything else is extra. Okay. Thank you all very much.